Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie Ann Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time library book wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, dancer and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our 33rd episode. Hello, hello, 33. Lucky it was the lucky thing there, no. (laughs) (laughs) And this is our last episode for 2019 that's got reviews in it, I guess. Mm. Would you believe it? It's almost December. Don't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) And our next episode will be our 2019 wrap-up. And in that episode, we'll be sharing some exciting news about our summer series so stay tuned don't go away and if you've enjoyed our podcast this year could we ask you to show us some love by leaving us a review on itunes yeah that would be great that would help us with um just getting slightly bigger audience which is nice getting it out there (laughs) well tell us pamela what is the title of today's book (sighs) okay so i'm going out with a little bit of a bang this year no i wasn't intending to but I'm really excited about this book um, my last for 2019 it is The Monster Who Wasn't by T.C. Shelley published by Bloomsbury Publishing in August this year yes this is long awaited actually we sort of we've been waiting for this for a while so I know and I think we passed it between us each other and went yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah no you're gonna do it <laughs> so would you share the jacket blurb with us It is a well-known fact that fairies are born from a baby's first laugh. What is not as well documented is how monsters come into being. This is the story of a creature who is both strange and unique. When he hatches down in the vast underground lair where monsters dwell, he looks just like a human boy, much to the disgust of everyone watching. Even the grumpy gargoyles who adopt him and nickname him Imp only want want him to steal chocolate for them from the nearby shops. He's a child with feet in both worlds and he doesn't know where he fits. But little does Imp realise that Thunderguts, king of the ogres, has a great and dangerous destiny in mind for him and he'll stop at nothing to see it come to pass. Oh, my goodness, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Why did I let you have that? (laughs) Oh, no, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, And what genre would you class this as? Uh, I classed it as fantasy, but not in the fantasy adventure sense, if you know what I mean. More sort of yeah. like fantasy drama, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. New genre. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what is the estimated word count? Oh, you know, I've written here, look, it's a good length. I've written here it's about 40K. I didn't check. It's probably a bit bigger than that, I think. But I Yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> and what drew you to this book? Well, as you said, it has a bit of a long history. I seem to keep spotting this book at bookshops and like the look of it and the blurb. But for some reason I didn't buy it and probably partly because I just spend far too much money on books. 
Um, so when Bloomsbury offered it to us, I just thought it had to be. Well, she offered, they offered it to you and then you offered it yeah. to me. And I went, yes. Um, to be honest, yeah, I love the cover, but I had this little fear that the story wouldn't live up to it, which is totally weird and unfounded. And I don't know why I thought that. I just thought, oh, you know, it looks great. Oh. But oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's really rude. Anyway. Hidden gem. Yeah. So tell us about it. So this is the first book in a series called Imp Boy, which, although it doesn't state that on the cover, um, I found out right just at the end. Um, Imp Boy is born in the land of monsters, imps, ogres, gargoyles, pixies, brownies, boggarts, etc., who have been banished underground to give humans free reign in the sunlit world. Monsters think humans are terrible. They've seen humans at their worst throughout the centuries, but have not experienced humans at their best. Imp Boy is born a monster from the last sigh of a man and the baby's first laugh, but he looks like a human. He has a soul. He's impelled to escape the monsters and is taken under the wing of a group of gargoyles who aren't as bad as the others and who are one of the rare groups of monsters who can stand sunlight. An angel called Daniel, Daniel, Daniel becomes Imp Boy's protector and quickly sets about providing for his human needs, such as food and clothes. But Thunderguts, the king of the ogres, is after him. Nobody really knows why. And Imboy is t- forced to take shelter with the family of the man and baby whose sigh and laugh became Imboy. There, Imboy learns more about what it is to be human and falls in love with the baby. But Thunderguts is still after him and devises a plan to lure him back down below by kidnapping the baby. Imboy is only a day old, but he's learning very quickly about humans, monsters and his place in the world. Oh, my gosh. This reminds me a little bit of Labyrinth, but, yeah, that was, I don't know. I'm sure it's nothing like it, but. (laughs) (laughs) Probably just the fantasy aspect and all the the different monsters in there. And the baby, yeah. Yeah. And what was your overall enjoyment? (sighs) Big sigh. You know, there are books that you really enjoy, and then there are books that you go, I wish I'd written that. <laughs> well, I wish I'd written this. <laughs> it in a in a non creepy, you know, in admiration <laughs> kind of way. Yes. It, it is such a beautifully written, quiet fantasy novel on the surface, but it explores um, some deep themes such as what it is to be human and belonging and family. It was richly detailed, but not overly so, and peppered with some great humour. Definitely a page turner till last. And I look forward to book two, which is to be released in 2020. This is the debut novel of T.C. Shelley. Uh, I will definitely be keeping my eye out for more of her books in future. Oh, fantastic. It's really good. And who will love this book? What age would you recommend it for? I think it's perfect for readers of nine and up. There's quite a bit of monster action um, and the writing is quite mature. So I think, yeah, I think it would be a difficult read for younger readers, both in terms of following the story and sensitive content. So I don't know. Sure. Yeah. So I think we've already answered, but do you think reluctant readers would enjoy this? Yeah, I think it's more for confident readers. It's one to, you know, definitely sink your teeth into. And as a comparison, I'd say, for anyone who loved um, Dragon Rider, which is Cornelia Funk, um, Starfell by Dominic Val- Valenti, and Stormkeeper's Island, um, which is Catherine Doyle, which I reviewed yep. a few, well, the second book of a few. They're, they're sort of in that similar genre with these um, mythical creatures sort of mash up, just quiet fantasy 
kind of thing. So, that's, you know, those are your comparisons. Fantastic. Yeah, so lovely book to end on for me because, you know, we're kind of limping towards the end of the year as yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, now I've got my eye on some adult books, which is good, but it was a really nice book to end on. So your turn. Julie, what's your book today? My book today is Potkin and oh, I'm already stumbling. Potkin and Stubbs by Sophie Green, illustrated by Carl James Mountford, published by Piccadilly Press in 2019. Ah, and this one has been popping up in my Insta feed. Yes. <laughs> Quite a bit lately, so I'm interested to hear more about it. Can you share the blurb with us? Yes. I have a story for you, a missing person's case. Lil Popkin, wannabe reporter, doesn't scare easily. She spends her time stalking the streets, looking for a story, sticking her nose in where it doesn't belong, desperate for a news scoop. And as Lil is about to discover, a scoop can be found anywhere at all, even sitting opposite her in the all-night bus station. This is definitely, it definitely sounds like a Julie book. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what's the genre for this one? Okay, wait for it. Uh-huh. A middle grade noir style ghost mystery with thrilling elements and a bone chilling conclusion. <laughs> I don't think you could get more, Julie, really. <laughs> uh, exactly. Do you wish you wrote this book? Yes. Let's not even speak of it. <laughs> um, and how did we go for word count? Oh, I'd say it's about 70,000 words. Okay. Good chunk yep. of them. Yep. <laughs> um, well, this goes without saying, but what drew you to this book? Yeah. Well, the cover, of course. Mm. It's illustrated by Carl James Mountford. You may remember him from Taylor and Rose, Spies in St. Petersburg, a book by Catherine Woodvine, which I reviewed in episode 30. The cover is everything you could ever want in a noir-style ghost mystery. And it's also another recommendation from Nick Tomlinson, of course. I think we may have to make him an honorary maven, Pamela. (laughs) Hi, Nick. (laughs) Hi, Nick. (laughs) Anyway, I was hooked by the cover and the thought of a noir-style mystery for middle grade, um, you know, that's just amazing. I also follow the author Sophie Green on Instagram, who I believe also has a double life working in a library as well as being an author. Of course, excuse me, I had to read her book, not just for the library worker solidarity, but of course it sounded something like I would completely devour, and I did, but that's getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Sounds like there's a uh, Julie Grasso doppelganger. (laughs) She's in the UK, is that where she is? Yeah, so I think Sophie's... I'm her doppelganger, if anything. I think she's right. uh, she's so much further ahead <laughs> in in authorliness and librarianness. <laughs> there you go, goals. Hey, yes, goals. <laughs> right. So tell us more about it. Yeah, Lil Popkin lives in Pelican City, a grimy shadow of its former self, a city littered with burnt-out detectives and journalists all leftovers from a time when Pelican City was run by mobsters. Lil will do anything for a scoop 
to get herself published in the underground newspaper, The Claxon, when she meets a boy named Nedley Stubbs in a bus stop, a boy who no one else seems to notice, who asks her to look into a missing persons case. She's hooked from the start, especially since the boy turns up in her room an hour or so later, but she didn't actually see him get on the bus. Unperturbed by his ghostly status, Lil sets about delving into the mystery, the mystery of how the boy came to be dead, a mystery which will take her through the hard-boiled belly of Pelican City, teaming up with a washed-out ex-detective named Abe Mandrell, who once put the mobsters of Pelican City on notice. But that was another time. Unfortunately, he's all Lil can depend on if they're going to get to the bottom of Nedley's untimely demise. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. Okay. He does, he does. <laughs> Did you yes. enjoy this one? <laughs> oh, yes. This was a gritty middle-grade noir mystery. Need I say more? But actually, I will, of course. It was middle-grade noir at its best, which may or may not even be a genre, but it certainly should be. The setting was gripping from the start. I could almost smell the grime. The character of Lil was so plucky and determined. There was a fire in her belly and she didn't let the adults who let her down continually affect her determination. The mystery skims along fabulously, taking you from one grimy place to the next, meeting one unsavoury character after another until the final showdown, which was nothing short of thrilling and terrifying. This was not your average ghost story. This was not your average middle grade story which in my book means it was one heck of a read and I am eagerly awaiting the next instalment, which I have, of course, requested from the library. Ah. And when will the next <laughs> one be coming out? No, oh, I think it's already out. Ah, <laughs> so. ah okay. Right, yeah. well, there you go. I think it's Two called The one. Haunting of Pelican City. So. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes. right. Um, now, this doesn't sound like it's lower middle grade, so no. who will love this book? Yeah, I'd call this upper middle grade, possibly for 10 plus, and anyone who loves an intricate mystery in a uniquely gritty setting. Hmm. This, we don't, I don't know if it's just us um, and our selection, but I don't know that we come across a lot of upper middle grade that aren't sort of YA books. Yeah. Does that make sense? We don't, yes. it seems to be a little bit, you know, because YA is kind of, nitty-gritty issues yeah. more yeah. than anything but there's not that many that we come that we've been reading anyway upper yeah. middle grade so yeah I was absolutely thinking the same thing okay so yeah this is definitely for confident readers who love a meaty manuscript and they will not be disappointed fabulous fantastic now that might be the end of our reviews but wait there's more we have a new giveaway to announce, a bumper Christmas book hamper with six incredible books, some that we have had the pleasure of reviewing this year, and a couple of incredible new releases. Hop on over to our social social media channels and get commenting and sharing to enter. Yeah, it's a great selection of books. Whoever gets those will be very, very lucky, very happy. Yes, yep. And the fun doesn't end there. Coming up is our very first illustrator interview. 
I had the very great pleasure of interviewing Mark McBride, illustrator of Emily Rodder's Del Toro Quest series and new release, The Gim, which I reviewed in our last episode. I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed recording it. Yeah, I, I can't wait to listen myself. <laughs> See <you> next, <laughs> enjoy. See you next time. See you next time. Mark McBride is the illustrator of Emily Rodder's best-selling Del Toro Quest series, which has sold over 18 million copies around the world and has become an anime TV show. He has illustrated 200 book covers, 10 picture books, countless magazines, and has had work exhibited with the New York Society of Illustrators International Show. He has won Aurealis Awards for the Del Toro Quest series and World of Monsters, which he wrote and illustrated. More recently, Mark illustrated The Glim, written by Emily Rodder and published by Scholastic, which I reviewed back in episode 31. I was thrilled to happen to meet Mark at a recent book event and even more thrilled that he wanted to join me on the podcast for a chat. So welcome, Mark. It's great to have you on. Hey, thank you so much, Pamela. I'm so excited to do my first podcast. <laughs> well, it's our, I think you're our first illustrator, so we're very excited too. Hey, oh, my goodness. There you go. So let's go right back to the beginning of your relationship with um, Emily Rodder. How did that come about? How did you come to illustrate the Del Toro Quest series? Yeah, wow. That, we're going back a long way, Pamela. Like that's in the 90s. Does anyone remember oh. the 90s? Oh, I my know. gosh. You know, what? <laughs> you know what? The weird thing was there was a dinner. And I think that, yeah, it was uh, the publisher of Harry Potter was there. So that's how far back it was. And he was talking about this new book that he was doing called Harry Potter that he thought was going to do okay because it was well written. But of course it's fantasy. Fantasy wasn't popular back then. So we all know <laughs> how that story goes. But um, that was the first time I'd met Emily, who of course her name is Jenny. But um, how I got to do Del Toro Quest was, um, it's actually, uh, I actually was just, it was the nineties of course, as mentioned. I was going around taking my folio to different uh, publishers and I went into Scholastic and I had all these fantasy kind of paintings I was showing them and I went, oh, we're actually doing a fantasy series called Del Toro Quest, but we've already got an illustrator, but um, you know, your work's quite good. It would have been quite nice if you'd got here a couple of weeks earlier. So I went home, I just moved to Bondi in Sydney and I went home and painted, um, I think I painted maybe three of the covers and I, I sort of brought them into Scholastic and said, hey, I've done these covers. Any chance you give me the job? Because I really wanted to do it. And they said, oh, we like your work. We'll use you. We haven't actually told the illustrator he's got the job. And so I got the job. <laughs> Does that make any sense? So, oh, my God, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's a real get the foot in the door kind of thing, which, you know, yeah. I never really do anymore. So uh, I'm doing oh, this. Oh, I don't know what well, I'm doing. Persistence pays off. You know what um, it is? Young, exuberance and youth. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I well, wasn't that young. I was, you know, I don't know how old I was in my 20s. But anyway, that's what happened. <laughs> well, there you go. But the great thing about working with Jenny was, I mean, she obviously, I think she's a brilliant writer. And I've been so lucky to get to work with her. But it's a weird thing with writers because some writers, they'll tell you things and I won't really understand it and I'll get it all wrong. Like Jenny will maybe just give me one sentence and I'll go off and do something and she'll go, that's exactly what I wanted. So I don't, we just click, you know, we're very different people, come from different worlds, you know, different upbringings, you know, I grew up in Belfast, you grew up in Sydney and stuff. And, but we just really, we love the same movies. We have the same books, obviously Lord of the Rings is in there and yeah, we just clicked. And so those paintings that I did seem to be what she wanted, even though there wasn't really any communication to begin with. So 
that's how I sort of started. And then after that, of course, she would tell me what what, what the pictures she wanted to go with her stories. Yeah. I think as an illustrator, you know, I'm not an illustrator. I'm, well, I'd like to be one day, but um, as an author, I sort of, you know, think about what I'd like, but you want to, you want to have an illustrator that gets you and that, that, that improves on, on what you're thinking. Right. And it sounds like you do that for, for Jennifer. It sounds fantastic. I know it's a funny thing. I suppose like, you know, as you know, as an author, you know, it's sort of, there's no formula to it, is there? I mean, if there was a formula, publishers would have their own illustrators in-house and their own authors and they'd tell them what they wanted and they'd come up with a bestseller or whatever. So there's no real formula. And sometimes it works. And, you know, a lot of times in my experience, it doesn't work, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I've always found it really easy working with Jenny. And, you know, often she'll give me a bit of a story and, I, and I'm so inspired with it. I, I, t I think I've done my best work working with with Jenny I keep calling her Jenny of course that's her real name but um maybe I should call her Emily for this podcast yeah of course because she writes um her adult fiction is under her name that's right yes yeah and yes. children's under Emily Water. um so before you started when you started taking out your folio um was it all fantasy art was that what you wanted to get into it you know uh, like like I said it was before Harry Potter so fantasy was a bit of a niche area and I, I did I love fantasy and always have but um, it you know I was it was sort of around the time the Olympics was coming up so I was doing a lot of sport books and you know magazine did a lot of magazines so no it wasn't all fantasy but um, that's really what what I wanted to do and yeah probably my better work in the folio would have been you know the dragons and monsters which is. What I love to do, but I never dreamt that that's kind of would be the main sort of part of my work. You know, that just seemed too good to be true. Still does, actually. So wow, yeah, and and it's huge now, fantasy, isn't it? It's, it's it is. And, you know, you got. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about Harry Potter. I mean, um, mm. you know, I, I got two boys; they love it, and and I love Harry Potter, and just I love it, what it's done. You know, for um for fantasy. Yeah. I mean, obviously, fantasy was around then. You know, we had Narnia, we had Lord of the Rings, but it just wasn't um, as mainstream as it is now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, I and, think, uh, uh, and there's different genres, isn't there? I mean, uh, uh, funny books are really popular now. I mean, and and it's very, you know, reading to I read to my boys every night, and obviously, a funny book's great. I mean, I love reading them funny books because you just get them involved right away. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I've got one who's fantasy, and the other one's funny. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, but the fantasy, the fantasy, I mean, they both love fantasy. They're both obviously huge Harry Potter fans. Lord of the Rings, they both love. Lord, I mean, my youngest is only six and he's a massive Lord of the Rings hobbits oh, fan. Right. Yeah. See, yeah. I, I, occasionally I'll meet people who say they don't like fantasy because it has nothing to do with real life. But the thing is, good fantasy does. You know, you relate to the characters, you know. I mean, Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, he's like a farmer, you know, and he's just like a normal frustrated farmer you know, a guy, boy living in a farm who wants to go off and fight the empire as we want to all do. And, mm. you know, it's, it sort of relates to real life. It should relate to real life, you know, fantasy and real characters. It doesn't mm. have to be moved. So I think maybe people get a bit put off by fantasy maybe because they think it's going to be too removed and they won't get into it. You know, it doesn't relate to their real life maybe. It's just my theory for today, but... Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think my, my two boys actually love fantasy play. They make up their own, you know, they base things on the you know, movies they've seen and they make up their own sort of stories and their own play. And that's, that's great. That's a fascination, isn't it, you know? Yeah, it's really nice to see. Um, 
so the, the Dao Torah Quest books, um, just going back to those, they're full of um, visual puzzles and riddles. Did you do those illustrations as well? No, no I didn't. That was um, that was uh, Emily's uh, daughter, Kit, who, you know, uh, I know she's she's very good. She's actually a brilliant mu musician. So um, she did all those graphics. So um, I didn't do them, no. I just did the covers. But we did do a few picture books. We did, um, and we did a journal, which is way out of print mm. so we did do a few things did posters so i i did those but yeah kid did the, the mm. graphics inside for the puzzles so i guess they you know were able to do it um she's probably living at home i'd imagine back then so they're able to just do it in house literally. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because they're quite um they're very close to the story and and very sort of subtle aren't they yeah. it's well done i know yeah and as you mentioned there are a handful of supplementary books such as the Book of Monsters, which we actually picked up at an op shop not long ago. Or well, that's just to get them because uh, a lot of them, I think they're out of print now. I mean, it is 20 years ago. So, <laughs> and, you know, they've, they've sold a few copies. But, uh, yeah, I love going to op shops. You can, um, you're pretty much guaranteed to find Del Toro Quest books in an op shop for about 50 cents. So it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how we that's how we came across them in the first place. I didn't know about them. And, like, you know, we were just, yeah, yeah, we just had an op shop and kept seeing these books. And I sort of thought, you know, should uh -huh. we try them out? And, yeah, that's, that's how we got into them. <laughs> Shops. So you don't get that with digital downloads. You can't, you know, recycle them at an op shop. No, true. And it's hard to discover, you know, new things, you know, without sort of being visual, so visual and in front of you. Um, so now obviously you've done a lot more than just Del Toro Quest. And I'm, I'm taking that's the book that launched you as an illustrator. Yeah. And it, look, it, it was amazing doing that. And, you know, I, have loved working on it and really was able to get my teeth into it because it went. I think it was about over ten years that we did the series. But yeah, no, I did some other stuff. I've worked with, uh, done a few books with Gary Crew and um, Isabel Carmody, who of course I saw recently. Yes, I did. I yeah. saw recently. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had to rack my brain there to think about that. So she's because she's I think she's gone back to Prague. So yeah, I did a book with Isabel and um, a lot of book covers and did a bit of advertising work, which I wasn't very good at. Yeah, so a few books, some of the books sell 20 copies, and then you get another one sells 20 million copies, so you just can't tell. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard, isn't it? Well, let's move on to the Glim, because we hope that this one will sell, sell 20 million copies. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned in my review uh, last episode that there was a blurb in the back of the book that told of how your paintings inspired Jennifer to write the book. Do you want to tell us a little more about that? Did it start with one painting or did you hold a little bit of you? Well, Pamela, it's a little bit embarrassing because what happened was I was trying to write my own story, which I'm still trying to do. And I got sort of lost a little bit. I realized um, I've got this sort of theory. Ideas are cheap, right? Everyone's got heaps of ideas. And I have yes. lots of ideas, but it's the execution. And I kept... Because I was illustrating and writing it, I would do this painting, change the story, change the painting, and I was in this perpetual loop. And that went on for an awful long time. I mean, I had two uh, two boys in the meantime, and life goes on. But yeah, I was sort of lost in this loop a bit. And eventually, I mean, I, I, also I had a few things happen as well. I was with Omnibus Books, and obviously they um, the publisher changed there, so I was working quite close to Dan Blacklock on it. And then suddenly I had a new, like without warning, I was working with someone else and they wanted a different book. So to cut a long story short, I kept changing it. Had, I've, I've still got like thousands of paintings, finished paintings from this project. And I was, I just didn't know what to do. And I, and I thought I'll send it to Jenny and see what she says. I hadn't spoke to her in a couple of years. 
And uh, she told me she got an email and she read it and she thought, oh, poor Mark, feel sorry for him, but there's no way I'm, I don't have time to do this. I'm not going to do it. And uh, like the greatest compliment you could ever get was that she looked at the paintings and thought, oh no, I think I will try and do it. <laughs> so I did, I sent her about 25 paintings and she emailed me right away. Cause I know that Jenny, um, sometimes her internet's off. So normally if I, when I'm doing a project, I don't hear from her right away, but I heard from her right away and said, look, love the artwork. But I don't think I can write a story around artwork. That just sounds impossible. But what I'll do is I'll give it a month and see what happens. So I had no expectations. Kept, you know, kept burying myself down rabbit holes, trying to work out what I was going to do this story. I had so many different plot lines. And it was just lots of twists. It was really weird. And anyway, after a month, she got back to me and said, hey, I've got a story. Um, and then I started reading it. I think I was on, I was in Broome. I was doing some very remote tours around schools. So I would just read these notes she would send me and I thought, what's happening? How can someone write something like this so quickly? But that's 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 the the, the brilliance of Jenny. She's like the most humble person. She's like she's no pretense about her. She's lovely. You get on really well with her, but at the same time, this is brilliant writer. Like, and I, I loved it. I mean, who knows? Maybe not everyone's likes the same books, but for me personally, I, what she was writing, I loved. And it was sort of like a serial, like Flash Gordon, you know, I would get like, um, just like a chapter <laughs> every few days. And I would sort of finish my school talks and I couldn't wait to read that. I thought, this is a good sign if I can't wait to read it. So, uh, and, and then just reading bits that I knew she'd been inspired from the paintings I'd sent her. Yeah, it was a real thrill. And, and I recently, heard, she was telling me that she loved working on it too. So, uh, you know, whatever happens in the glim, it might, Maybe it'll sell only one copy, but uh, we love working on it, and and I'm really proud of it. And I think it's the only time I've actually done a book where I actually think, oh yeah, that's good. Normally, I don't know. I'm sure most people are like this. You do a, a book, and then you, you sometimes I can't look at it. I just see all the mistakes. But I had a lot of time to get those paintings right. So actually, doing the glim took about seven months. But of course, I had that whole oh, ten years of doing paintings before then. So I don't know. Wow. Okay. I know who does that. Well, you know, you've, it's, it's interesting. It sounds like a, you know, you've somehow you've come out with something different without really meaning to. You've come out with something that's a little different than what's on the market. Um, it is, but I know it would be a weird one. And I, I look, I, I'm a very visual person, but even I find books where it's pictures and writing, it does take a bit of getting used to. You know, I mean, I I, I used to love a, a book by Neil Gaiman called Sandman, which you know I. I just love them still still love it today um so that works but some books and i love the hugo cabaret books mm. but even you're reading hugo cabaret sometimes you know it's you you got to sort of turn your brain into from visual to writing and you know it's, it's a little bit of an adjustment it's a different sort of read which i think is good because you've got this book it's nice to sort of present a different format yeah if, i mean well, I think I've spoken before. My my older son, he really is into manga. He loves uh, he loves Del Toro Quest um, manga, yeah, in particular at the moment. But he he we were having a discussion the other day where he was saying he just doesn't like reading novels. He loves books, but he finds really? reading novels himself. He just finds he gets bored. Um, so wow. yeah, he he really is a visual person. Sorry. He prefers the graphic novel style to read. Like a, if a novel yeah. was a graphic novel style, he would read that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. He's he's he is a very visual kid. He loves he loves drawing. So he's actually now started reading the Glim, and 
he's really enjoying it. He's really lo- enjoying looking. He, he looks so long at, at the, the painting. Because really? this yeah. is what I wonder, because I, I really don't know, like, how people will sort of react to it. So he actually, you know, because obviously you got the story. He doesn't, like, sort of skip the pictures and go into the story. He actually yeah. looks at yeah, no, no. See, I'm a skip the pictures and read the words kind of person, but he's the opposite. He wants to delve into the pictures and, um, you know, be support. I mean, I read to him a lot, so and he quite likes that. I mean, you know, we've read quite a lot of novels, but um, for himself, yeah, he he's a ve- he just loves the visual side of it. So it's really interesting because for me, this has been a step up. He's getting him reading a novel that's not a graphic novel and is, you know, because his reading is actually quite advanced. So he's not. You know, he's not. He doesn't struggle with the words. He's just. It's just yeah. um, the sticking to it. So yeah. it, it, it's been a, like, and I, I kind of saw this when I read the book myself and when I did the review. But um, yeah, now that he's halfway through the book, I'm like, yes, this is this is fantastic. It's, it's yeah, it's something different for him, and it's really well, working for him. So looking at the pictures too. I mean, I tried to do them so it does flow in some ways because some of them are sort of panel based. You know that it's almost like a graphic novel, sort of. But mm. style, I, 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 at one stage, I did do it as a graphic novel, speech bubbles, and it just looked terrible. It looked awful. So my style, because it's a little bit more realistic, kind of what I'm going for, doesn't really suit that graphic novel style. But, but I'm like your son. I love graphic novels too. You know. Right. But it's, but it's just some formats of book. You know, it's kind of, yeah. Do you look at the pictures? Are you reading the story? <laughs> so I tend to be the mm. glim. Sometimes I'll skip the pictures. And, and I, yeah, but um, yeah, that's not reason. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. well, I mean, I, I can see that you've put a lot. I mean, I, when I read the book, I did actually look closely at the pictures because I mean, amazing. But <laughs> um, I could see that you put more into the pictures than just an illustration of what was happening on that page. It was kind of what was going on in, in Finn's mind, wasn't it, as well? well yeah, exactly. And I wasn't sure if, yeah, and, and, and it, I'm not sure if it's obvious that that's going on. So, uh, but that's okay. It's good to do a book that leaves little gaps for the, you know, I think that's the thing, the difference between a book and a movie is there's three people involved in an illustrated book. And I'm sure you've heard this before, Pamela, but, you know, it's like, you know, there's an author, there's an illustrator, and then there's a reader. So the reader's got to sort of join in what the illustration the little gaps between the picture and the and the writing is doing and yeah there is that i mean if you don't get it it doesn't matter but yeah the pictures are actually um from from finn's imagination not his imagination but his mind yeah 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 which is uh, fantastic so um to go into a bit that a bit more tell us um a little bit about your technical process do you start on paper or is it all is all your work digital I do start on paper with a drawing. So I, I, I've gone, I went digital by accident, really. And um, I had a computer that broke down and um, I was borrowing a friend's computer. I just used it for email. And he had Photoshop and I was literally cutting up pictures that weren't working and gluing them together and then airbrushing them to make it look seamless. And I realized, oh my goodness, you just do this in Photoshop. So um, what I do is I actually do paint, I do draw, like there's an element of it which is hand done, and then I'll Photoshop things together. There's a lot of photographs from, from Ireland that you know, there's a lot of Giants Causeway photographs in there. And yeah, so it's a combination. And um, sometimes I'll make things entirely on the computer, digital. Um, but a lot of the time it's actually, I'll, I'll, I'll paint something and then Photoshop over the top, get rid of the imperfections. Cause it's kind of weird. I, 
I, I, the kind of art I would put on a wall are, are sort of traditional. I love watercolor, oil paint. But for some reason, I don't like doing that myself. I hate to see like paint sort of splashes or mm. on, on my own work. So I tend to get rid of it, which is not everyone's taste. But I'm just what I'm trying to do is um, immerse the reader into the picture so that they don't even look at the style. Like they don't know if it's digital or hand done or whether it's done with a paintbrush. I just want them to sort of be in that world, if you know what I mean. And that's sort of my aim and um, yeah, whether they succeed or not. But um, yeah, the computer definitely is a big factor, though. Yeah, well, I, I can see that, you know, for me, yeah, I, I sort of staring at it going, how is this done? Because <laughs> I wanted to know, well, you know. Well, how could Maybe in part two reel as well. So, um, you know, mm. I'm working on a new book at the minute and I'm, I'm making it a bit less sort of photographic realism kind of thing. For one thing, it takes ages doing photorealism and uh, I don't have another decade, but I do have an awful lot of artwork, <laughs> which yeah. I sort of change um and that's another good thing on the computer but the problem because of the computer you can change things you will change things so often i'll have a picture i'll spend a it'll might take me one day to do a painting it'll take me a week to change it and then i end up pretty much the same as the one that took me one day if you know what i mean i'll just do a full <laughs> loop and i'll just think why did i do that so i'm yeah full of procrastination and uh falling into rabbit holes of changing pictures and changing them back again. Well, that's, that, you, we do that as a, as a writer anyway, keep, you know, fiddling with words. And... <laughs> Didn't someone say this whole day moving an apostrophe or something and putting it back? I don't know, paraphrasing. <laughs> someone... I have heard that. <laughs> I have heard that. So um, how, many illust how many illustrations were in the Glim? Uh, I believe, I think there is it about, uh, you know, oh, I think there's exactly 100 pictures so a lot of them are double spread. So I think it's maybe, I think it's about, oh, I said 100, roughly 150 pages, maybe a bit more, maybe it's oh. 160. Uh, but I think it's 100 paintings, which is just, it just ended up being 100. It was all a bit organic how we did it. It just sort of went along and luckily there was enough pages to fill it up. Um, I know at one point we had to, uh, the, 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 the font was made bigger because Jenny, um, um, you know, she's very, wants to make sure that her readers uh, have a good experience of reading it. So we had to uh, increase the size of the font. So of course you need more pages and then we had to change the page breaks. So that was a bit tricky and I had a very good designer working on it as well, helping. Mm, uh, it, yeah. So yeah. we changed a few pictures for that. And the way that it, the pages, are, I mean, they, they, the way they're set out, they're kind of consistent with that fantasy style. And It is, yeah. Yeah. And, Little, little dragon tails I think he added in that was the designer put that at the end of some of the chapters and yeah played around with different sort of formats of, of how the design was going to go little chapter heads which we took out and um but again the great thing about digital you can do all these changes you know if you want to change the sky and it's a traditional painting you kind of got to paint over it <laughs> but yeah. it did just yeah take away a layer it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then you don't have to worry. I, mean, I I like doing watercolor, but you know, every now and again, it's like, oh, it just it just bled, it bled or it just splashed or. <laughs> and, and that's beautiful. You'll get like these things that are kind of you could never really get on the computer. These little sort of mistakes that you get, and of course, mm -hmm. the computer's like the opposite. You make a mistake, you press the undo button, and you, and, and and in a way, it's a shame. You get rid of some of that serendipity that you get when you're doing a painting, but um. 
Yeah, it's just that it is incredible what you can't do digitally, though. So, yeah. yeah, I don't think I'll be getting rid of it anytime soon. No, wow, that's amazing. Um, so, yeah, you talked about your writing process with um, oh, or lack of doing, process, your or lack of process it doesn't matter. Uh, you know what? I've I've written half a fantasy novel, and I think it's probably without the illustration part. I think it's probably about the same. Got halfway in and just went, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Are you going to finish? And, Oh, I, w- I think I will. Yeah, I just I need to finish what I'm actually working on right now, and then I'll get back to it one day. <laughs> that's, that's the plot, you know, the plotting. That's the hard part for me. Yeah, and the map. You got to have a map at the start. Have you got a map? Oh, kind of. Yeah. Tolkien was to blame for that. I think he was he the first. Mm. So but it does help, though. I think, doesn't it? You know, if you got a map and you know kind of all the different lands, you know where people are going. Yeah, I do. And part of, you know, uh, without getting too much into what I'm writing and not getting published, um, <laughs> part of it is like it's a journey. So I have to know that they're going when they're going west and when they're going east. And, you know, I've got to know there's a forest there and a mountain there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do have it's it's more in my head and a little bit sketched. But um, if I ever do get it published, it will need a map at the beginning of the book. I think. And it has to be a trilogy. <laughs> there will have to be a trilogy. A trilogy of four books, maybe. Oh, a trilogy of four books. <laughs> so not a is it? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I could ever withstand doing. Uh, I will see. We'll see. I'm still learning. <laughs> um. So, but what I wanted to talk about your writing. So you wrote World of Monsters, and do you have any more plans, or is that kind of destroyed your? Um, no, experience? World of Monsters is fun, but I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's a story as much as it's probably not even much of an anecdote. Just a lot of incidents that mm-hmm. happen to a boy meeting monsters and. Uh, yeah, hopefully I've sort of, I mean, it was, I, I had a bit of humour to it. You know, he has special shoes and um, and it was sort of like, I was trying to like be a little bit educational without being too didactic or anything. But, you know, because it's sort of like about, um, sort of about the environment. Every monster has some sort of environmental not concerned but sort of how they're made and it was sort of trying to take like as if monsters are real but um yeah that was a long time ago i can't even remember to be honest but but yeah so the new one it it was quite ambitious what i was doing and it was about a boy actually going into his own imagination and meeting everything he's ever drawn but then it got bigger and bigger and um ended up there was for some reason there's all these fantasy dragon battles in it and um the good thing about doing the glim is all those dragon battles that are drawn, not all of them, but a lot of them I was able to use in the Glim. So I feel like I've exercised that away out of my system, all the fantasy elements. So what I'm left with is a boy in his side, his imagination, which is right. exactly, I got lost. Um, I'm not sure if this makes any sense actually, but uh, so uh, yeah, I'm still trying to write a story about a boy who gets lost in his imagination and make it something people want to read, which is yeah. important yeah. for a book. Yeah, I, I keep working on it. Sounds great. Gee, <laughs> well, um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so I know you are with a speakers agency and do school visits and other events. Is that right? Yes, I do. Yes, yeah. I love doing them. And you know what, Pamela? The funny thing is, I remember. I mean, I, I, it'll sound like I'm trying to get a bit of credit here, but I remember before Teltor Quest came out, like I hadn't really done any books anyone had heard of, but I did heaps of talks. You know, maybe was, again, I was young and full of energy, and uh, I was doing so many talks, and I just and I love doing them, and and you're you're meeting the kids, you're te- showing them your artwork, and you know, kids love seeing you draw, so you'd be painting a dragon in front of them, 
And for some reason, I think like, you know, in Australia, I think that maybe in some small way got the ball rolling from Del Toro Quest. So for all authors and illustrators listening, I just, uh, and they already know this, of course, but those school visits, they're just the best thing to do. And that you come away inspired as well. You come away thinking, wow, people like to see me draw. and They like what I do and they're interested. So yeah, it's, it's a great thing. I mean, mm. I don't remember, I mean, did they have, when you were at school, did you have author visits? Um, you know, I, I can't, I went to school in England, so, um, right. yeah, yeah, um, I can't remember, to be honest. No, I, I mean, we were talking before we started recording how I always thought authors were these amazing people who, you know, were special and lived, you know, a long way away, so, no, no, I don't, yeah, yeah, so I don't think we ever had any, I don't think I ever met authors or illustrators when I was at school, so. Yeah, because we, hmm. I didn't have them, we had yo-yo people come, I remember, the yo-yo people arrived and they all thought, wow, they must be billionaires because they can do walking the dog with a yo-yo. yo-yo. It's not them, but we never had author visits. But, I mean, it's just a great thing, isn't it? I mean, because mm. like I was saying before as well, in Melbourne, uh, you know, people actually get together and they, they share ideas. And you, you go to school and you're, you're teaching kids how you do what you do because the thing about imagination is uh, imagination is not really something you can teach people. Um, but it's so important. Imagination, I think it's a bit like your muscles. You know, you've got to exercise it and your imagination will grow. Imagination is problem solving, but it's hard to teach. So what an author or illustrator visit to a school does, it shows that imagination is important and it shows maybe their way of practicing their imagination. I don't know. You can say I'm yeah. a bit obsessed with imagination, but um, yeah, I, I try to sort of teach kids, you know, about being create. I don't know, creativity and yeah. ways of using that which are maybe yeah. things that maybe you doesn't always get covered in school I'm not sure no As well teach yeah. I mean you can't say to kids okay everyone just daydream for two hours and use your imagination um which a lot of us did at school I did but um yeah I th- yeah, yeah I'm sort of an advocate for imagination yeah but but I do love those those school talks do you, do you well, do a lot of you, Pamela do you do, do you visit schools I'm sure you do yeah. No, no, I, I'm not. I'm not traditionally published yet. So <laughs> you guys great. I saw because you launched obviously the book. Uh, you were at a book launch and you did such a great job there. So yeah, you guys should be doing that. Thank you. Well, yeah, I, it's something that I'd like to do one day. I, I have self-published yeah. one book. Um, and something I would like to do one day. Um, and was going to do at my son's school, but um, yeah, <laughs> just didn't get around to it. And yeah, we're not at school, so yeah. Um, yeah, eventually, I, I, I completely agree about. You can't teach imagination, but you can encourage imagination and show that it takes practice and daydreaming and just, you know, looking around at what's out there. I actually like to blog about creativity and, and um, you know, ways of encouraging creativity in kids And because uh, I think a lot of schools, you know, they teach art and they teach yes. music, but it's to a sort of formula and it's not a sort of a lot of space for kids to do what they want to do. So. That's- the space and the time isn't it and when you're young that's when you've got the time to use imagination and so and there's all these distractions now we've got to fill up time with you know whether it's you know facebook or whatever so oh my goodness i apologize (laughs) computer weird um so yeah when you're young is the time when you got that space so we want to encourage it and and not sort of fill every every waking moment up with some electronic device, which, you know, I'm sure most of us don't do, but there is that sort of, it is oh, there. They, to yeah, they always have homework and, and you know. Yeah, homework, and then you want to play iPad and, you know, yeah. so 
Yeah. yeah, like drawing. I mean, my my two boys, they do draw a lot, and um, it's great to see it, you know. But you don't see many adults sort of just sitting down and drawing, do you? No, no. It, yeah, it, it's, and it's something I think a lot of adults think, well, I can't do, so I won't do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and uh, that's the other thing as well. Confidence is, like, huge as well. Like, one of my sons, you know, really was into AFL. He said, oh, I'm going to be an AFL player. He met one person better than him and said, okay, that's the end of my AFL career. He's better than me. There's no <laughs> point going on. But, like, you know, what's that all about? If you have the confidence, like, to think you're good at something, you will do it. When I was at school, I, I wasn't good at art, but I loved art because I thought I was good at it. One of my teachers, I think, just felt sorry for me and just said, oh, you're good at art. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm good at art. And I did it because I thought it was good. So it's like confidence. If you think you can do it, even though you can't, maybe that's delusional. I don't know. No, I, I think I think I'm, good. Think you're well, good. Well, delusions. Well. Have, yeah, it helps. I mean, I, I think um, you know a lot of people's dreams are crushed by one teacher saying you're not very good at you know dance know. Or, or writing. Or, Especially or in art. art, I hear that story a lot. My art teacher didn't like my work, and I never took up art, even though they're actually pretty good. Yeah, and, and it takes practice, right? You, no one's good at anything without practicing. Exactly. I mean, I always think about, you know, all those bands that get together. I know we're getting way off subject here. You know, bands that get together, just like four friends, and they become brilliant. Like Nick Cave is such a great musician now, and obviously he's very talented, but a lot of it must have to do just with those, like, hours and hours of practice. Mm. So you could be kind of mediocre, in my opinion, and if you practice a lot, you get good. I've just yeah. said something very obvious there, haven't I? Well, yeah. it might be, but I don't think a lot of kids get that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 you know? Well, there you go. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Um, sorry, I, oh, I could talk about this forever, but um, <laughs> what's next for you? I know you're, you're doing some writing, obviously, but do you have any um, any other books coming out soon? Uh, well, well, the Glim just came out, so... Um, yeah, I've got a few things. So I've got a book that I'm just sort of working with the publisher at the minute on. So going to see what happens there. And uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I do. I'm always busy. That's the thing. Even though I, I maybe don't have books coming out, I'm always like, like flat out busy doing it. So it's kind of weird. Where does it all go? I don't know. I just got loads and loads of uh, stories and images. And um, yeah, uh, I need, need to put it together, really. But no, <laughs> nothing. Um, Nothing directly coming out, no. Okay. <laughs> but, but I hope they will be too long. Yeah, well, we look forward to it. Um, and if if our listeners want to see more of your work, where can they find you? Well, um, come to Montsevat, got a studio there, always up for a chat and, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll do you a free picture. Um, uh, but also uh, I've got markmcbride.com, which I've got to fix up that website. Recently did it myself and uh, tried to have a few art competitions on it and um, put all my artwork up there, of course. And Oh, got lots of videos on there, lots of how to do stuff. So if you want to see sort of how I used to airbrush, lots of how to draw things, got lots of videos up there. But I do apologize. I've got to arrange it a lot better on my website. That's another thing in my to-do list. Never ends. It never ends. <laughs> 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 I've just been doing mine recently as well. Again, again. You do your own as well. Oh, of course, you're. you're uh, I want, yeah. You're I know what I'm doing. It just, it's just, you know, getting it to look nice. <laughs> well, the websites are amazing, though, aren't they? You can, you can do it yourself. And uh, the, the great thing about doing it yourself is you can sort of update it whenever you want. You don't have to ask your webmaster, which I used to have to do. Yeah. That's what they're called, a webmaster, a Jedi master. Maybe yeah. that's what I should have called myself, webmaster. <laughs> yes. Webmaster. 
Not anymore. Anyway, well, thank you so much. I could just keep on chatting forever, and I'm sure our listeners have, um, you know, got, got lots out of that. Um, but, yeah, we better wrap up. Um, thank not- you so much. My first podcast. So uh, I know I rambled on a bit, but I, I'm just so excited. Love podcasts. It's like, you know, pirate radio, you know, it's awesome. Yeah, Thanks. well, there you go. You've, you've made it. You've done it. <laughs> so keep up the good work, Pamela. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, if you are interested in The Glim, it's available now. Um, take a look. It's a fantastic book. Thanks, Mark. Oh, thank you so much. Ho, ho, ho. Our final episode is on its way, along with a large white bearded man wearing a red jumpsuit. Next up, Pamela and I have our top 20 of 2019 episode coming to you live from our living rooms. We'll chat about the standout books for 2019 and interview a couple of mini mavens. Plus, illustrator extraordinaire Sunshine Shamu will join us in the middle grade mavens hot seat and we'll be announcing our super secret hush hush excitement plus news for 2020. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, drop by julieangrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckermann.net. <laughs>